0: This is the time in our service when someone will stand here and preach to you and try to be helpful and accurate and clear in his teaching of Scripture. You want your heart to be really soft right now, especially with today's text. It's intense. Uh, Because it's so intense, I want to start with a lighthearted story, and then I'll read my verses again and we'll pray. This lighthearted story does set up a good frame for understanding the Scripture, I think. So here it is. This past fall. Grace and I had the chance to get a vacation away together by ourselves, which was a glorious delight. And we went to the city of Miami, which is Grace's kind of a city. And uh, we were away, just us, had a really good time. We landed down there on the plane. We went to rent a car so we'd be able to get around town for the days that we were there. And the rent-a-car place is off the airport, and it's in one of those eight-story parking garages with the very narrow ramps and the very low ceilings. You know the ones that I'm talking about? So we get there, we go to the desk, we rent the car, and then we go down to the third level where Dollar Rent-A-Car is, and there's the car. And it's a Ford Focus, which is basically a go-kart with a roof. (laughs) Have you been in this car before? But we don't care. It's sunny. The sun is shining. It's Miami. She's in flip-flops. There's no children around. We're just going to have a great time together jamming down the strip of South Beach in a Ford Focus. <laughs> okay. We have a great time. The whole three or four days was excellent until our trip back to the airport. Uh, we're multiple hours early because that's the way that I am. So we leave, you know, a moon before the actual flight is going to leave because we can't be late and we can't be late to the airport and we cannot be late to seeing our kids who haven't seen us for a few days. And so we're in the Fort Focus just as we leave the hotel. The skies of Miami open and it starts to pour. And you know what rain is like in those tropical places? It's just buckets of rain. Before you know it, there's rivers running down the sidewalk and dolphins are swimming by. And I'm like, Noah did not fit in a Ford Focus. What is going on here? And we're so early that we decide to grab a bite to eat before we arrive at the airport and pay way too much money for it there. And so I take a right turn into a parking lot, and I figure that the curbs in Miami are just like the curbs everywhere else in the world. They're cut square at a 90-degree angle. But they're not. The curbs in this parking lot are shaped like an octagon. And so it's pouring rain out. My windshield wipers are growing. I don't see the curb. It's underwater. I assume that it's square. And the whole Ford Focus goes into this divot. Ba-ba-boom, ba-ba-boom. Both tires on the right side of the car get flat. The dashboard lights up, low tire pressure. We're tipped like this. I get out. And here's where somebody with my personality, Jess's personality, starts to panic. We're going to be late. We're going to have to pay for the fixing of this entire car. It's a Ford Focus. The axle is probably totally shot. <laughs> I'm wet. Grace is mad. I'm in a panic. I call AAA. They say 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. No rent a truck, tow truck. I call them again. They say he's stuck in a flood. He'll be there as soon as he can. So I take Grace and whatever luggage she needs, and I put her in a cab, and I send her to the airport, and I am pacing outside of this car, just ready to fight someone. Finally, the tow truck pulls up, and it's the biggest tow truck that you have ever seen in your life. And I'm like, I called in a Ford Focus. We could have put this thing on a dolly and wheeled it back to the (laughs) airport. I do not need this giant truck. And he gets out the crane and lowers the back and he pulls this little car onto it. I get into the cab with him. His name is Manuel. He was from Cuba. I got to know him. And I look at my phone and I see that I still have 45 minutes before the flight takes off. So then I start talking Spanish to Manuel. And I'm like, vamos ahora, rápido, now. Let's go. (laughs) We're going. The airport's only 15 minutes away. We take the exit to the rent-a-car place. I have to get the car back. And here's where it gets crazy because... He takes the turn and he is looking at the rent-a-car garage and the lowness of the ceilings and the narrowness of the ramps and he does not want to go in there with his tow truck. I don't know if you know, but they've outlawed bullying in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I bullied this poor man into taking this tow truck into this parking garage. And as we're arguing about this, we're pulling closer and closer. Those metal teeth are sticking up from the ground. Do you know those metal teeth that you only see at a rent-a-car place? Um, what happens once you pass over those teeth? There is no going back. Your decision is made. Reverse is not an option. You, you can't get free. It's over. And he knows this, and we are inching toward that <laughs> entrance, and he's saying, no, no. And I'm saying, yes, yes. You can do this. I believe in you. Kuba, kuba. Come on. I am not missing this flight. And uh, good customer service. He does it. And we drive up this ramp, and now it's too late. And we are missing those signs by centimeters. And we go up one turn and two turns to Dollar on the third floor. And the dollar rent-a-car agent sees us coming up in this flatbed tow truck, and he's like, stop, no, you can't take a tow truck up here. Are you crazy? And I said, yes, right now I'm crazy. (laughs) This car has two flat tires, and I'm flying back to Boston tonight. Now, I tell you that story because I want you to hear this text and this warning from Jesus with that metal teeth contraption in your mind. In love, Jesus is warning the scribes in this text that we're going to learn about, and he's warning us that it is possible to do with our souls that are supposed to be soft and alive toward God. It is possible for us to do with our souls, with our hearts, with our mouths what we did with that tow truck right there, to cross a line that just no one is ever supposed to cross, from which there is no going back to consciously and intentionally sin repeatedly in a way that puts repentance and forgiveness out of reach. I told you this was intense. I've been praying for you and your hearts and your ears for today. Let me just give you the two verses I'll be preaching from, and we'll press in. You've heard this already, and the scribes who, were, who came down from Jerusalem were saying two things. Jesus is possessed by Beelzebub, and it's by the power of the prince of demons that Jesus casts out demons. And then Jesus says this Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, Jesus has an unclean spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for your grace that we are here this morning. Uh, There's a, a thousand good things to do today, but there is one amazing, beautiful thing to do, and that is to stand before the living God who shed his own blood to make us his and has given us life now and eternal So we rejoice that we're here, we confess that we come across a hard saying of your son today, and I pray that your grace would be with us as we press into this and hear this, and we would honor the spirit of God today. Hear my prayer and answer that, I pray that you would, amen. Okay, let's work the text together really carefully. We're still pretty early in Jesus' gospel, and he is acting in a way that no one has ever seen before, with power and authority they just didn't see coming and he is doing good with this power and this authority he's exercising demons he's he's setting people free he's putting them in their right mind and that is such a beautiful thing he's healing people's bodies as a sign of his power he touches a leper who hadn't been touched in forever and he makes his skin clean and he restores him to the worshiping community of God that's a beautiful thing He heals this paralytic who comes down out of the roof of his house, and he forgives his sins, and he heals his body, and the man stands up straight and can walk, and that is a beautiful thing. And Mark is only giving us snapshots over and over and over again. Every day, Jesus was doing these beautiful and good things. Now, because of the miracles, he became wildly popular. If they had Twitter back then, they would say, Jesus of Nazareth is trending. Okay. But no one's quite sure what to do with this Jesus of Nazareth at this point. And Mark shows us some different responses to the person and the work of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Joey stood up here and preached to you guys, and he talked about the response of Jesus' family. They thought that their son and their brother, Jesus, had just lost it completely. They thought he had had a mental break of some sort, um, that he had delusions of grandeur, and the way to love him would be just to bring him home. Um, Jesus, what is going on here? You're not eating. You haven't been home in weeks. You've got these crowds of people following you. You're picking fights with the religious leaders. Have you lost it? Come on, you're coming with us. Get in the back seat. That was the initial response of Jesus' family. This text which is intentionally sandwiched between those two family texts, shows us the response of the scribes. Verse 22 said this, the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem. When you hear this word scribes in your reading of the Scriptures and in the Gospel of Mark, I want you to hear officials. These are the men who are authorized and certified to lead the covenant people of God. They are the official representatives of the people. Their judgments, their opinions, their take on what's happening sticks for Jerusalem and Israel and all of those people. Uh, In my day job, I am the school business official for the Revere Public Schools. This means that when I report to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, what's happening with the finances in that school district, my word is official. I represent everyone at RPS when it comes to the accounting. And so you could say that if anyone was going to know what was going on with the money at RPS, it should be that tall, goofy-looking guy, Matt Cruz. He's the one. It's the same thing with the scribes. They were meticulously trained in the scriptures. They were the certified ones who would judge the covenantal and religious matters of this day. If anybody was going to respond rightly when the Messiah came, it's supposed to be these guys right here for their own good and for the good of the people that they represented. Now, what is their response supposed to be? to what we have seen so far in Mark, to all of these beautifully redemptive actions of Christ. Well, in one sense, their response should be faith, right? They're the ones who should have had their finger on the pulse of what was going to happen when the Messiah came, what Isaiah had prophesied. They should have been the first ones believing. But at this point in the gospel, nobody is there yet. Jesus' true identity is still very veiled, And to expect immediate faith from anyone, including these guys, that's very mature faith, would be to read the story wrongly this early. But at least their hearts should have been soft enough to sense that God was at work in this Jesus. At least they should have been open to the possibility that Jesus was someone good, maybe even the Christ. For example, the crowds were saying it like this. They were whispering to each other, hey, is this the son of David? Could this be the one? You hear that flutter in their hearts? At least the scribes should have been asking it like that. Whoa, this man is doing beautiful things. He's walking in great power. Maybe he is the one. But this is not how they respond. It's not even close. Instead, they go with the most (laughs) awful vile, filthy, terrible, nasty, hard-hearted response you could imagine someone giving to Jesus. And their verdict and their accusation is this. The person of the work of Jesus was possessed by and empowered by the prince spirit of evil. They said it like this. Here's what's going on. Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul. Jesus casts out demons by the prince of demons. I need us to feel how rough this verse of Scripture is. They are watching the good, redemptive, holy, pure, righteous, gracious work of God. And what are they calling it? Evil, wicked, sinful, twisted, satanic, harmful, false. They are calling light, beautiful light, brilliant light, marvelous light, gospel light, filthy darkness. After seeing for themselves the power and the majesty of the works of Jesus, this is the conclusion that they come to in their hearts with their words. Yes, Jesus is powerful. We admit it. These people have been healed. But he's getting that power from the prince of demons, not from God. He's getting it from an unclean spirit, not from the Holy Spirit. They say it like this. He is possessed by Beelzebul. Now, Beelzebul is a crazy old school word that none of us have heard before, but it was an interesting title. It refers back to Baal, who was the Canaanite god of the older covenant enemies of God. They saw him as an arch ruler of a dynasty of evil spirits and wickedness. He was a false god. And by Jesus' day, that was one of the names that they would use to refer to God's enemy, Satan. And this particular version of the name was very slanderous and mocking and sarcastic There was this play on words there that made it mean Lord of the Flies or Lord of the Carcass, like Lord of Roadkill. Oh, you're the Lord of the Roadkill. That's big. It was a slanderous, mocking, cursing title, like saying you represent everything that is rotten and repulsive and foul. Now, this would have been accurate speech in labeling the enemy of God the one who was against our purity and our holiness and the righteousness of God. But what are these scribes doing? They are using Beelzebul to label Jesus. And that is what we would call blasphemy, using words to utter terrible, false, untrue things about someone or something holy saying that at his core, this Jesus is wicked and evil. Can you guys feel with me the hardness of heart and the blindness of eyes that would lead to making that statement with your mouth? Uh, We get really mad when people just make rash and ridiculous judgments on little things that we like, like restaurants. Have you ever loved a restaurant? It was like your place, and then somebody else says, oh, that place is terrible, it's awful. What happens? You're ready to throw down, right? Don't talk that way about my restaurant. I know the chef. Grace chained me to the couch the other night and made me watch The Voice. I think it was on ABC. I tried to get away, but I couldn't do it. I'm kidding. I delighted to sit with her and watch that. But there was this guy, Blake Shelton. (laughs) I did because I was with her. I really did but there was this guy, Blake Shelton, and I said, I don't know about this Blake Shelton guy. She nearly threw me off that couch. You can't say that about him. He's the guy that rode home before Michael Buble sang it. How dare you talk that way about Blake Shelton, blaspheme him. We were at an X29 event this week and someone had something bad to say about someone that we really respect, John Piper, and every guy at my table was ready to just throw down immediately. No, you don't say that. Now, if we get ruffled by the most meaningless slights of restaurants, of music, of sinful people that we don't think deserve to be slighted by that, how much more serious is what we're looking at together today? This is God the Son being animated by God the Spirit and He's doing good And they're calling it evil. Looking at the redemptive work of God and saying, that's the work of the devil. How hard must their hearts have been to ever even think of saying something like that? Well, the answer is dangerously hard. And Jesus is going to address that danger with them. And here's what he says. Truly I say to you, uh, when you read the scriptures, the gospels, and you hear Jesus say that, don't move. Don't move. Just freeze and listen. He's shaking you by the shirt and saying, eternal truth is about to be spoken by me. Don't miss this. Then he says this, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Okay, let me stop right there. Is that an unbelievable text of scripture? What a great promise. Don't miss it. Yes. All sins will be forgiven. All sins. All blasphemies. All sexual sins. All lies. All fornications. All thefts. All slanders. All envies. All grumblings. All idolatries. All disobedience of parents. All sins that we are sorrowful for to come to see as wrong that ask for the forgiveness of God and fly to the cross of Christ about. All sins will be forgiven. I I need you to hear this before I keep talking, please. We serve a God who is rich in mercy, abounding in grace, full of pardon. We serve a Christ whose shed blood on the cross covers all sins. As a gospel-centered church, we know that. We get that. We revel in that. We sing about that. Don't dance about that this morning, but we dance about that. It is joy to our souls that this is true. And so it should be absolutely stunning to us what we read as we continue in hearing what Jesus has to say to us. Because Jesus steps in with a caveat to that truth. He steps in with an exception to all. It's what has come to be known as the unpardonable sin. I don't know if you ever heard that, or the never forgivable sin. And Jesus says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. All right, let's work this slow. But whoever blasphemes, technically, blasphemy is a sin of the voice, of the of the mouth. You do this with your words. It is to speak slanderously and falsely of someone who should never be spoken of in that way. But like with all words, it is a sin that begins in the heart. Jesus teaches us that. That even blasphemies begin and are rooted in our souls and eventually just flood through our words. From hearts that have become so hard and so unbelieving, and so stubborn, and so wicked, that it has nothing but curses to say about a person. This is what we're dealing with right here, a heart and a mind and a mouth that curse and malign and want absolutely nothing to do with someone or something that is holy. But whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit, Okay, let's talk about the Holy Spirit together. As believers, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit should just be precious to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who points us to Christ and causes our blind eyes to open and see his glory. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin and causes us to despair of our own righteousness. The Holy Spirit is the one who causes faith to arise in our souls, saving faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who seals us for salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who counsels us and causes the words of Scripture to jump off the page and light up and fill our souls. The Holy Spirit is the one who comforts us when we are just broken and fragile and hurting. The Holy Spirit is the one who births good affections in our souls for what is right. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to our Savior, Jesus. And in all of these things, in all of his work, the Holy Spirit is doing good. He is bringing glory and fame to Jesus, and he is bringing joy and life to us. Now, how are you supposed to respond to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? With honor, with appreciation, with delight, with praise, with worship. We're supposed to long for and cherish and revel in and adore God's spirit. We're supposed to delight in his work in our hearts. I am so glad that you are my comforter and my counselor and my teacher. What is the one thing you could never imagine doing against the Holy Spirit. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Speaking a nasty word about him. Calling him a liar. Saying that his testimony about Jesus is not true. Saying that his gracious work of convicting you of sin is evil and wicked. And Jesus is telling us that if you get to the point where your heart is that hard toward the beauty and the counsel and the grace and the work of the Spirit of God, that your mouth has settled in to uttering blasphemies about Him. This is trouble. And if you go there and you take that path, your heart could grow so hard that it will be like you have passed over those metal teeth And there is no way for you to return to repentance or forgiveness. And he warns us like this. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Why is this? It's not because to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is somehow worse than blaspheming God the Father or God the Son. Like you can say whatever you want about them, but just don't say it about the Holy Spirit. Now you're in serious trouble. That's not it. Here's why. It's because you and I, man, desperately need the work of the Spirit in our lives. And in this sin, we are closing the door in His face and keeping Him from His work that would lead us to repentance and life. And we're supposed to feel the horror of that Even as wealthy Americans in a beautiful church with a million things to do this afternoon, we're supposed to feel right now the horror of that. Imagine if we so blasphemed and rejected and reviled the gracious spirit of God, called his work unnecessary, unwanted, evil, that he said, okay, I'm done with you. You've put yourself outside of my reach. Jesus is warning us that if we are not careful, we have the potential to land there. And when we do, there is no getting back. Now we get a case study in this text and in Mark's gospel and the book of Acts of what this can look like in real time with these scribes and the city of Jerusalem. In this text, we have heard these men utter terrible blasphemies about Jesus, right? Can you imagine saying, he is Beelzebub, God but there's still great hope for forgiveness for these scribes. Jesus dies for their sins, he's risen, he ascends to the father, and at something called Pentecost, the holy spirit of god is poured out in a unique way. And he comes upon Jesus' disciples, and they step into the city of Jerusalem and they start to preach the gospel. And who do they preach the gospel to? To Jerusalem, to the scribes and the religious leaders, and the people of that day. And they say, you crucified the son of glory, but if you turn from that sin, he died for you. Receive his grace. The Holy Spirit is giving them these words. And how do the scribes respond again to God's grace? Again, they refuse to believe. They And this act of unbelief at this point in the story, here's what they're saying. The Holy Spirit is a liar. His testimony about Jesus is not true. We reject him. We do not want his gospel. And they fail to heed Jesus' warning. And this time, what do they do? They drive right over those metal teeth. And there's only one thing on the other side of those teeth. It's the righteous and holy and just wrath of God. And within that generation, judgment comes. Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 AD. And the older covenant people of God and their way of life is gone permanently, never to return in the same form that it was. Why did this happen to these scribes and to these people? They let their hearts grow so hard that they blasphemed God's Spirit They rejected his gospel, and they put themselves under judgment instead of under grace. Okay, now that was then. What about us? The very big question that this text raises for people is, what about me? Have I done this? Have I committed this one sin here that will result in eternal guilt and and just wrath? And there have been many people with very tender consciences who have gone sleepless, worrying about it. Okay, if that's you, I want to speak grace to you today. And I just want you to chill and to relax with me. No one who is up all night worrying if they have responded wrongly to God's grace and to his spirit has come anywhere near committing this kind of a sin. Uh, Jesus is not talking about a one-time sentence that you utter or a thought that crosses your mind and God the Father somehow watching for it. Boom, there it was. That person is done forever. They did it right there. Time out. Let me write this down. That's not the way that this works. This is persistent and stubborn and resolute reviling of God the Spirit, of His person, and of his work. To the point where you can no longer decipher between right and wrong, between good and evil. And you are just totally given over to sin. Now you can get there. And you'll know if you are inching toward those metal teeth and if your heart is hardening like this. If you find yourself thinking like these scribes, rejecting Jesus and his gospel, and beginning to label in your life what is wicked as if it's good and what is good as if it's wicked. This text had me praying really hard for this young guy that we know, that I know this week. Um, Got to know him a little bit. He was newly married. And a few years in, he allowed himself to get into an emotional affair and then a physical affair with someone who was not his wife. And when you talked with him, you were hoping that tears would fill his eyes and sorrow would come to his soul over his sin and that he would start the way back to making things right. But instead, he would say things like this. What if I just married the wrong woman? Who says that divorce is such a terrible thing anyway? What happens if I would be happier with this other girl? Lots of people have affairs. I'm only 26. Things like this. And the beautiful truth of Spirit-inspired Scripture that brings life and peace to our homes and our souls. The good and the gracious commands of God. He was labeling them as harsh and wicked and wrong and narrow and archaic and bad. His heart was getting so twisted that he was saying, Adultery is good. Purity is bad. Divorce looks really good right now. Cherishing the wife of my youth? Are you crazy? That's ridiculous. The gracious conviction of God's spirit seemed to him like something that an enemy would say to him. His heart was mixed up that bad. And I will never forget, he was in worship with us down in Malden, and we just made a passing comment about the seriousness of sexual sin And he heard those words, and instead of saying, yes, that's right, that's good, that's what the Spirit has for me, he wants what's best for me, to live according to God's commands to me, he got up, mad, offended, and he left, and he's never come back. And that terrifies me as a pastor, because these are signs of a heart that is growing hard against the work of the Spirit. And is in danger of blaspheming him and putting himself beyond the place where the Spirit can bring him to repentance and to life. And so I think that the more pertinent question to ask of ourselves this morning with this text is not, did I commit this sin one time somehow and now I'm toast? That's not it. But it's this one How can I stay a million miles away? from having a heart and living a life that blasphemes God's gracious spirit. Okay, This is one of the deals where a good offense is the best defense. Anybody watching the NBA playoffs? These teams that just attack on offense are the ones that win. You just go for it, and you don't even have to worry about the other side of the coin. I think it's like that here. I don't want anyone in Seven Mile Road going around and saying, Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Whatever I do today, whatever sin I commit today, let me just make sure that it's not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Strike that from your mind. Instead, here we go. Let's work diligently at having soft hearts, you guys, that love and honor and appreciate and cherish the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's it. And that can start in two places among us. The first is repentance from sin. Do you know that whenever we confess our sin, and we just own up to it, and we agree that it's wrong, and it's vile, and it's bad, and it's no good, and we ask our Father to forgive us and cleanse us and help us to mature and to change and to be conformed to the image of His Son. When we do that, we honor the Holy Spirit. We say yes to his person and his work. One of the joys of my heart in getting ready to preach to you today is to know that so many of you are in smaller communities of seven milers, and one of the things that you do is you confess your sin to each other. That's us saying, yes, Holy Spirit, yes, convict us of sin, Cleanse us from sin. Make us holy. We honor you. We appreciate you. We love the good work that you are doing in us. And then secondly is what we do every week when we come to Jesus' table. Believing in Christ. Whenever our affections are stirred for Jesus, whenever we love him and praise him and worship him, we honor the Holy Spirit. Why? Why? Because the Holy Spirit's role in our lives and His joy is to glorify the Son to point people to His cross and His empty tomb. And so when we say Seven Mile Road is all about Jesus, this is not a slight to the Holy Spirit. This is honoring the Spirit by saying, yes, your testimony is true. You are right when you light up the glory of the Son. And so we will honor you, and we will worship Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you show up today and you think, God's done with me, I speak grace to you, it's not true. All sins committed by men and women, forgiven by the blood of Christ. If you show up today and everything about your life has been reviling and blaspheming and cursing the work of the Spirit, and saying it's wrong and vile. Soften your heart this morning. Say yes to the grace of God's Spirit. And if you are with us, be confessing your sin, be clinging to the cross of Christ, and in doing so, let's build a church here that honors and cherishes the work of God's Spirit. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for your teaching that really is true. I pray that we would not worry about anything outside of this building but about our souls, our lives, our homes. And I pray that here the Holy Spirit of God would be adored and revered and respected and honored. I pray that you would stun us with the work of changing hearts. That we would be a million miles from those teeth of an unforgivable sin. That we would be soft and broken and filled with faith and love toward you. Come and convince us of the truth of the gospel and make it real in our hearts and our souls, I pray. I pray, amen.